Okay, we're going to begin here on the top of Kuf Chav Zayin Amar Aleph, five lines down. Gemara says, "Tanu Banan in Matzkalim Botzar Tchila, Avalusei Bo Shvil Deishi Kanes VeYitzay." Remember yesterday that we had two opinions as to how to read the Mishnah. We had the opinion of Rav Chista, who said that when we say that it means four and five, there are limitations on going down to the bottom of the Otsar. Then we have a second statement of the Mishnah is below at Otsar, which tells you you may not start an Otsar on Shabbat because it is Moksa. And we had Shmuel who believed that you could start a Otsar on Shabbat. That's not a problem to go into the silo on Shabbat. The problem only is to finish off a silo. So here where the Gemara is speaking about a case where that's clearly according to Rav You're allowed to make a path so that it can go in and go out. Mar says, What do you mean you're making a path in there? You're not allowed to start it. You're not allowed to go in the Otsar and utilize it. So what are you making a path in it for? You're allowed to make a path in there as you enter and as you exit. So what basically you have here is an otar that's full of grain, full of some item, that is muksa. So you can't engage with the muksa directly. You only engage with it indirectly. Now what that means to engage with it indirectly happens to be a machloket rishonim as well as a machloket poskim. Rashi says over here, biraglo, mifane biraglo the kan and the kan. Pushes it away with his foot to either side. Derech halichato. The way that he walks, the lo tiltul. Because that's not a problem of muksa. So the way Rashi reads it, it seems to be that it's incidental that you're coming into contact with the muksa, you're walking, and as you walk, it happens to be that you bump into muksa while you're walking, and the muksa moves away from you because it's done in a way that's derech halicha. There are the rishonim like the rosh who suggest here that it's really tiltol kalachayat. Now the difference between them will be the halachic ramifications as to what we permit with regards to muksa and tiltul minatzat. The way the Rosh explains it, and the way the Mishnah grew up Haskins, is that tiltul minatzat by muksa is allowed. And therefore, if you need, for instance here, to walk through something, and there's muksa in front of you, you can take the muksa out of your way, push it out of your way with your feet. You can, if you have to, push it out with your elbow. If you're laying on a bed, you're going to have all this tiltul minatzat. On the other hand, what seems to be from Rashi, and this is the way the Chazanish Paskins, Neged the Mishnah Brua, you can do tiltul minatzat only when you do it derech halichato. Only if you're doing it in the normal course of your walking. You can't intentionally go in and do tiltul minatzat. You can only do incidental tiltul minatzat. And that'll be the big nafkamina lalocha between these two explanations. Whether you can do intentional tiltul minatzat. According to the Rosh, according to the Mishabura, you can. According to what seems to be from Rashi and the Chazanish, you can only do it unintentionally. Can you do this tiltul minatzat? You cannot intentionally do this tiltul minatzat. Tarabanan. Vua You have tzvua that's piled up. Bizmajit chilba mi'arv Shabbat. If you already started taking from it from Arab Shabbat, mutardi stapik mimena bishabbat. Then you can continue to source from it on Shabbat. Vimlav, and if not, asurli stabeg mimenu bishabbat, vivei rabbi shimon. And if not, if you haven't started it before Shabbat, then you can't utilize it on Shabbat as feed because it's muksa. Divrei rabbi shimon. Rabbi Acha matir. Rabbi Acha says, no, that's muta. Gemara says, klapi layo. How could that be? Where, where are you turning to? Where would you go? This doesn't make any sense. Rabbi Shimon, we know, is the author of the position that there's no muksa on Shabbat. So how could you be that Rabbi Shimon is the one, or the Tanakama here, saying that there's a difference between whether you started before Shabbat or whether it wasn't started before Shabbat. It should be irrelevant to Rabbi Shimon. Where it says, you got to reverse the opinions in this. Braita, 
which is Divrei Rabbi Achla. Rabbi Achla is the Tanakama. Rabbi Shimon, Matir. And Rabbi Shimon is the Matir who doesn't think there's any difference whether you've started or you haven't started because according to Rabbi Shimon, there's no issue of Muxa on Shabbat. Tana. Kama Shi'ur Tvua Tzvura. What is it considered to be a pile of Tvua? In all these cases, the Shi'ulto does not have the gears of Tzvura. He just has the Gemara reading. Tana Kama Shi'ur Tvua. How much Tvua do you need to be there in order for it to be Muxa? A small amount of Tvua, which would not be Muxa because you haven't made it into a pile where you're Mekatsa Minadat. It's only when you make it into a very large pile that you really put it out of mind because you're storing it there. You've stacked it in such a manner that you plan to leave it there for duration. And so because of that, it attains a shame muksa. But if it's below that threshold, then it won't attain shame muksa because it wasn't put there to store it or to make it into a pile. So Mari wants to know, what is that threshold? The answer is letach. Letach is that threshold. Letach is half a kur, or the equivalent of 15 sa'ah. But minei rab nechumi bar zachari me'abayi shiur tevurah tevurah bekama. Malei, hari amru. They said shiur tevurah tevurah letach. It's a letach, which is 15 sa'ah. Ibai luhu. Hani arba v'chamesh kubot. Again, this is according to Rav Chista. Rav Chista says that the four or five baskets that you take out are exact. You can't take out more than five. Five is the maximum you can take out. According to Shmuel, four and five are just examples. You can take as many as you want. So this question is not relevant. This question is relevant to Rav Chista, who says there's a maximum of five that you can take out. We want to understand, what are these four and five kubot? The Gamar Barav HaChamesh kubot in Tfeilo. Is the Hakpoda here on Tircha? And therefore, the maximum amount of baskets is what matters, because that's the number of trips that you're going to take. So four or five is the maximum amount of trips, no more. Alma, the ute bihilucha adif. What we're trying to do is minimize the amount of walking, the amount of tircha that you do. Dilma, the ute masui adif. Or maybe it's better to reduce the load that you're carrying. So for instance, if you could take out in ten trips, the same amount as you could take out in five trips, but you would take it half the size each time, maybe there we would opt for you to do that, because it would reduce the load that you carry each time. So is it better to carry out five whole baskets or is it better to carry out ten half baskets? Question revolves around which is more important to avoid? Extra weight or extra walking? So Tashma, we have a machloket, what seems to be a machloket between the Brito. Tatani Chada, Mifani, Nafilo, Abrav Chamesh Kumot, Shokade Shemen, Vekade Yayin. Could take four or five baskets worth of barrels of oil, barrels of wine out. Another bright, you could take out ten or fifteen. My love, how come if Maybe the machlok between these brightos is exactly this. The Marsavar, Miyuta Biluchadif. The first bright that thinks that minimizing the amount of times that you take the loads at is more important, and therefore he says only five kupot. Umarsavar, the latter bright says, that lowering the load is better, and therefore he's willing to have you go up ten times rather than to carry heavy load. What we're after here is reducing the amount of times that you have to walk. The four or five here is the maximum of times you're allowed to go back and forth. We're trying to minimize the tircha. So then, once you've done that, how do you explain the difference in the bright? Though? The first bright that we understand, you can go five times. But what about the ten and the fifteen in the second bright? You thought that the ten and the fifteen were modifying the baskets. It's modifying how many barrels that you're carrying out. The first bright is talking about a case where each basket only carry one kad, one barrel because the barrels are large. And the latter bright is talking about a case where you have smaller barrels. 
Well, you can fit two barrels per basket or three barrels per basket. And you're talking about these types of small barrels that they find in the city of Arpanya that you can fit two or three of them into a basket. So therefore, in the first bright top, you had one large barrel that you could take out in the kupa. In the latter bright top, you had two or three times five, which gives you ten or fifteen. You're only taking five trips. It's just the number of barrels that fit into your kupa. But there's no evidence here that it has to do with the load. It all has to do with the number of times that you go in and out. And that's the Gemara's conclusion that we're focused on miuta be'ilucha. Ibailu. Again, the question here is asked according to Rav Chista, who says that there's a maximum amount of times that you can go out, maximum number of kupot that you can take out. Hani arba v'chamesh te'kamar. Four or five that are mentioned in Mishnah. Afgav orchim tuva. Even if he has many more guests. Odilma akoli fi Or is it relative to the number of guests that you have here? That there is a relative increase in the number of kupot that you can take out based on the number of guests that you're expecting. If you want to suggest that it all has to do with the guests here, if we allow you to go in excess of the five because you have multiple guests, then who is allowed to take out the items? Is it that the balabait, the one individual, is then given permission to take out 10, 15 baskets, but he has to do it himself? Or do we say, every man for himself, that each guest can take out the amount that they need? So you can have people helping out. Tashma. The time that Rabbi went to a certain place, he realized that where he was teaching, it was too tight for the Talmudim. So they went out to the field. The problem was that the field was also crowded. It was full of piles. It was full of bundles of grain of harvest. And Rabbi cleared the entire sedet. So it's interesting here, the imer, similar to the word sokel, what you think would mean to stone, when it's used in reference to a field, sokel means to clear the stones from the field. So here also, imer, le'amer, means to pile things up, to stack them, or to or bundle them. So, But here, it's using the term imer, means that he cleared the bundles from the field, or that he piled them into some sort of central pile. Rabbi Yosef, I'm Rabbi Oshaya. Pamachat, Allah Rabbi Chia l'makom echad. Rather, he had a story with Rabbi Chia. Vira makom tachuk l'talmidim. He saw that it was difficult spacing for the talmidim. So Shvamina, number one conclusion is, clearly based on the number of people here, because they cleared the entire field. The entire field is more than five times back and forth. It's also more than five kupot worth. Why did he do that? Because it has to do with the number of people coming for the Beit Midrash. Therefore, there is a relationship between the number of items you can move and the number of people that are there. You still have the question of still have the question or the second question that we posed which is is it the one person that can do it or is it multiple people that can clear it out Tashma well let's try to conclude that from the story as well which is Vime Rebbe says that Rebbe cleared the entire field sounds like only one person can do it it says even if you want to take the story literally you think Rebbe cleared the field Rebbe is a Nasi he is an Ish Chashuv there's no way that he was doing this himself he was sending someone else to do it he gave the word and then they cleared it. We don't know who cleared it. We don't know if one person cleared it or multiple people cleared it. Maybe everybody cleared their own. When Rebbe says Imer, it wasn't literally that he went and cleared it. It means that he gave instructions to clear it. And we can't conclude from that whether it was one or multiple people that did it. 
And therefore we do not have a conclusion to that piece or that question based on the stories that we brought. So now we have a little legato with regards to Achnasat Orchim. Am Rabbi Yochanan. Gdola Achnasat Orchim Keshkamat Beit Midrash. Having over guests and welcoming guests is equal to getting up to go to the Beit Midrash. In this case it means Limud HaTorah. Tiktani Mipnei Orchim Umipnei Bito Beit Midrash. Our Mishnah says you're allowed to clear out the area to make space. It says for guests. It says to make room for the Bay Midrash. He equates the two because they're both found in the Mishnah. Rabbi Dimir Dara takes it one step further. Amar, you tear me Ashkamat Bay to Midrash. Not only is it equal, but it's greater than that. Diktani, because our Mishnah says, Mipnei Rochim, Vadar Mipnei Bilutul Bay to Midrash. So in the first statement, Rabbi Yochanan equates the two. He equates the two because they're both found in the Mishnah. Rav Dimi Minardo takes it one step further and says, not only are they equated, but Orchim is written first in the Mishnah. So that would suggest that Achnasat Orchim trumps Limud Torah. Amar of Yehuda Marav, Gedula, Achnasat Orchim, Makpadat, Pnei Ashkina. This is a famous Gadata that Achnasat Orchim is greater than welcoming the presence of God. Tichtiv, because it says by Avraham Avinu in the beginning of Parshat Vayera, there's a pasuk that says, Vayomer, as you see here in the parentheses, what's said there in the pasuk is Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. Now, Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud in the Torah can be read one of two ways. It can be read Chol, or it can be read Kodesh. It can be read as Adoni, meaning my master, and not the Shem Elukim, or it can be read as Adoshem, meaning that God. So over here, the pasuk says Adonai, but we're not certain as to whether that Adonai is Adonim Mishali, my masters, referring to the three Malachim, and Avram is addressing the Malachim, or he's saying Vayomer Adoshem, and he's speaking to God. It's unclear there in the Pasuk, because it uses a word that in a sense is ambiguous, because throughout the Torah we have this with Adoshem and Elukim. So the question is, when it comes to that terminology, you have the same question when it comes to Elukim. In the Torah, Elukim is used to mean Shofet, Sar, somebody important. And Elukim is also used to refer to God. So sometimes you don't know which one it is. For instance, in this week's Parsha, Parshat Mishpatim, it says, Ad Elohim To the Elohim will both their word go. Now there, Elohim is not referring to God, but rather to the court, to the court system. Now, sometimes it means the court system is called Elohim because they also represent God. Over there means a court. So you have the same thing here. The question is whether this shame is a shame Hashem or shame Chol. So Avram is speaking to Hashem because it says Be'irei Alav Hashem. Hashem appears to him. And then he sees the Malachim and then he says Ve'yomer, if you read it with the shame being shame Kodesh, then he's saying Ve'yomer Hashem, Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Hashem. He says, listen, I gotta go take care of these malachim. You just hang on here for a couple minutes and I'll be back. That's one way to read it. Or the other way to read it is if you read it, Vayom Adonai, referring to the malachim, then he's talking to the malachim saying, don't pass by, I want to take care of you. And then you wouldn't be able to learn anything from it. It's a machloket in the Gemara world as to which way to read it, whether it's Cho or it's Kodesh. But based on the fact that you would read it as Kodesh, then you would learn from that that Gdolach Nasat Orchim Yakolat Avram is putting God on hold to go take care of the Malachim. The God is nothing like a human being. By human beings, the little person can't say to the big person, I mean the more important person cannot be addressed in such a way as that you hang on while I take care of my things. And over here, 
Avram puts God on hold in order to take care of the Malachim. It's important to know from this Agarato that the conclusion that you would draw is Achnasat Orchim, which is a din of Ben Adam Lechavero, would trump an issue that is Ben Adam Lemakom Akpalat Ashchina. And that's very important because many times in religious life we give emphasis to the Ben Adam Lemakom. We focus on one's personal religious development and we do it at the expense of others or with a complete lack of emphasis on Ben Adam Lechavero. And over here, this Agarato and this Gemara tells you that if it's not at least important, it may be even more important Ben Adam Lechavero than a Ben Adam Lemakom. And the Ramban says in last week's Parsha, as well as many places in the Torah, that Ben Adam Lechavero, civility between people, how one interacts with other people, is a prerequisite for Matan Torah or Kabbalat Torah. Without proper Ben Adam Lechavero, forget about Har Sinai. There is no Kabbalat Torah. So this is a reminder to all of us to make an additional concerted effort towards improving our Ben Adam Lechavero, at least as much as we invest in or emphasize our Ben Adam Lemakom. And obviously, Ben Adam Lechavero without Ben Adam Lemakom doesn't fulfill one's requirement to be a religious Jew that follows the word of Hashem. But we know from the pun punishment of those that were in the Mabul, where they failed at Ben Adam Lechavero, versus the punishment of those found by Migdal Bavel, where they had a failure in Ben Adam Lemakom, that we take much more seriously failures in Ben Adam Lechavero than we do in Ben Adam Lemakom. So the best way is to have a balance, an izun, a proper approach to both Ben Adam Lemakom and Ben Adam Lechavero, to be the Ish HaShalem, to be a person who is a complete Jew. I'm Rabbi Yehuda Barshil, I'm Rabbi Asi, I'm Rabbi Yochanan, Shishad Varim, Adam Ufel Perotem Olamazeh, Vakarin Kayemet, Lo Deolam Abba. There are six things in which the principle is available to you, Deolam Abba, whereas you do have some benefit, you have some derivative benefit from them in this world. Now, it's interesting here in terms of Ufel Perotem Olamazeh, Tosafot already addresses it and says that in the Parakama de Kedushim, the first Parakadushim, Farish Da'ino Imaita, Shkula machret that if his scale was equal between mitzvot and averot, that this mitzvah has extra weighting, or it will help him to push the scale over. Because the schar mitzvah because there is no reward for mitzvot in this world. So what does that mean, peruteim balamazeh? Karen I understand. But how do you benefit from peruteim balamazeh if there's no schar mitzvah in this world? So Tosafot says that's just that it's machrat. It helps you in making decisive. It has extra weight. If you're equal on the scale, these carry extra benefit in order to weigh the scale for judgment on Rosh Hashanah for issues where you're being judged. So then the Gemara says, which are they? That's obviously why it's being brought here. One of those is welcoming guests. Bikur Chulim is visiting the sick, but visiting the sick isn't something to visit the sick, but it's the to see what their needs are, to see what you can do to help them out. Now, Iyun Tefillah, we've seen here, you can see on the Mesorah Tashas already, he quotes you, go see Tosfot, back on Kuf Yudchet, see Tosfot in Brachot Amit Bet, go see Tosfot in Baba Batra. And that's because Iyun Tefillah appears in all these places, and it doesn't mean the same thing. Because the Gemara in Brachot says Iyun Tefillah is negative, it's something negative. Over here, the Gemara seems to indicate Iyun Tefillah is something positive. The Gemara in Baba Batra says the lack of that Iyun Tefillah is negative also. So Tosafot actually divides and says there are two types of Iyun Tefillah. There's Iyun Tefillah, which means Kavanah B'Tefillah, which is what Rashi translates it over here, like a vein B'Tefillah To. That is positive. That one who has proper Kavanah and Tefillah, that's what we're talking about, Iyun Tefillah, that's a positive. The other type of Iyun Tefillah is 
when Adam Yoshev umitzape. He sits and waits to see when will Hashem answer his tefillot. That is negative. Because that, number one, has a presumption that you're going to be answered by God. And it's also a recipe for disaster. Because you have set your expectations high and you're going to be disappointed. So that iun tefillah is negative. That's what's referred to in the Marbrachot. It says that the iun tefillah there is a lack of kavanah. So there are two negative iun tefillah, which is lack of kavanah, or anticipating your tefillah being answered. And there's a positive iun tefillah, which is kavanah bit tefillah. And that's what's mentioned here. Iun tefillah, that's positive beer, is having proper kavanah and tefillah. Hashkamat beit midrash, which is getting up early to go to beit midrash, learning Torah. Ve'amigadel banav l'talmud Torah. Someone who brings up his children to learn Torah. V'dan et chaveiro l'kafskut. And someone who always judges his fellow Jew favorably. Where it says, Ini? Is that really true? Banan t'nan. We have a Mishnah that seems to say otherwise. Mishnah is found in the Paragalaf Mishnah Aleph in Peah. It's also quoted in the Gemara in Kiddushin Lamed Bet. And there's a slight difference between the two of them. We have here the Girsa that's found in the Mishnah in Peah, which is there it says, Kibud Avaim. The items that would be in this list are honoring one's parents. Gemilut Chasidim, doing acts of kindness. Shalom ben Adam lechaveiro, making peace between your fellow Jew and you. V'tamu Torah keneged bulam, and learning Torah, which is greater than all of them combined. So over there in the Mishnah Peya, you have four items. In the Gemara and Kedushin, there's an additional item, which is Hafnasat Orchim. is mentioned in this, or quoted as part of this Mishnah in the Gemara and Kedushin. So Gemara seems to say, Hani in vidachrin alo. The fact that the Mishnah only mentions these four or five depending which girsa you use, means that these are included in that category and not more than that. So then, how could it be that Rabbi Yehuda Bar Shilam Rabbi Yochanan, who has made a number of appearances in our Gemara lately, how could he be saying that it's all of these items that are not mentioned in the Mishnah? So the Gemara says, Hani Nami Behani Shaychi. The four that are mentioned in the Mishnah, or five that are mentioned in the Mishnah, are categories. And items mentioned by Rabbi Yochanan are subsets of those categories. So the four mentioned, subsumed under them, are the items mentioned by Rabbi Yochanan. So if you go through the items that are mentioned by Rabbi Yochanan, he says, Achnasat Orchim, Bikur Cholim. That's easy. Where would they fit under? What category they would fit under? They would fit under Gimilut Chasadim. So Gimilut Chasadim would include both Achnasat Orchim and Bikur Cholim. Hashkamat Beit HaMidrash, Vamagadel Banav L'Talmud Torah, that category, that would fit under Tamu Torah, Keneged Kulam. Hadanet Chavirah L'Kav Zchut, judging someone favorably, what category would that go under? Vat Shalom Ben Adam L'Chavirah. The only one that you're left with is Iyun Tfilah. So Rashi says that Iyun Tfilah goes under Gmilut Chazadim. And he quotes a pasuk from Mishlei. Mishlei Yud Aleph, I think pasuk Yud Zayin there. Says Gomel Nafsho Ish Chesed, a person who is kind to his soul. Gomel Chesed the Nafsho, he's kind to his soul. What does it mean to be kind to your soul? To do Gmilat Chesedim to your soul? That's still David. It's not the simplest way to read the uh, pasuk, but actually using that pasuk says that you can see taking care of your soul is also called Gmilut Chesed. That's Davening. What's interesting here is then in the way that we've described the year going to Rashi, he would have aim, would have nothing under that subset. So if I was laying it out, I would say maybe Iyun Tfilah should go under the category of Kibud Aveim. Just like Kibud Aveim is found on the right side of the Luchot, on the enemies that are Ben Adam the Makom and not Ben Adam Lechavero, then maybe Iyun Tfilah should also be a subset of Kibud Aveim. It actually would work well. That would work nicely because then each one of the categories that are mentioned in the Mishnah and Peah would now have something under it in Rabbi Yochanan's statement. 
And so I would suggest maybe the possibility of putting you in tefillah, davening, acknowledging that you are a beneficiary of someone else's generosity, graciousness, which is the aspect of kibudav aim, akaratatov, similar to yun tefillah, which is the recognition of akaratatov towards Akarat Baruch Hu and acknowledging that you are subject to his benevolence. So I would say maybe the possibility that you could connect yun tefillah to kibudav aim. Right, so now the Gemara tells us two nice stories about Dan the Kafskut, that you must judge your fellow Jew favorably. Now here, we mention this many times, I always quote this, whenever we see Dan the Kafskut, or Chuchid B'Kshirim, is the interpretation of the Rabbeinu Yona on Masechah Avot when he discusses this, he does not say that you're under an obligation to judge everybody favorably. He says there are three categories of individuals, they're Tzadikim, Benonim, and Rishayim. For Benonim, for those people that sit in the middle, where their actions are ambiguous because they are a benonim. And so now you have the possibility of interpreting their actions either for the good or for the bad. Over there, you have an obligation to be done the kafschut, to take the high road and to assume that what they did was favorable. In a case where it's a tzaddik, you don't have a choice. You have to assume that what he did was right. Even if it looks like something totally wrong, you have to assume that he did the right thing. And even if he didn't do the right thing, you have to assume that he was already choser b'tshuvah and corrected it. On the other side, if you have a rasha, then you do not have to be done the kafchot. You can be done the kafchot because that's his whole mo. That's how he works. He always is doing the wrong thing. He's making the wrong decisions, and so you're under no obligation to be done the kafchot. So done the kafchot here is not a generic statement about every situation. It's subjective, depending on the person that you're looking at. So if the person that you're looking at is normally a person that makes bad choices is a rasha. Then you can assume he does the same here. And the opposite is true by Tzaddik, who always makes the right decisions, and we assume makes the right decisions, you have to assume he does the same there. The question of Dan Lakamskut is Benonim, where you have an individual who sometimes does right, sometimes does wrong, over there, when you have an ambiguous action, you have to assume that his action was done, the Kafskut is done favorably. Someone who judges his pen favorably, Danino Todeskut. Hashem will look favorably upon him. There was this incident with this individual. He came from the upper Galilee. He was hired by a wealthy individual in the south, meaning in Yehuda. He worked for him for three years. Let me go home. Give me my pay. I'm ready to go home. I want to go. Take care of my wife and my children. There is an alternative girsa of Erev HaRegel. Because we'll see in a second, the story is going to conclude after the Regel. Could have been Erev Yom HaKippurim and then Motzei Sukkot, which would have been equally plausible. But some have the girsa. You see the Rif and the Rosh have a girsa of Erev HaRegel. Amarlo, Enli Maot. He says, I have no money to pay you. Amarlo, Enli Peirot. He says, give me some vegetables, some of your vegetation, your fruits, some of your produce. Amarlo, Enli. He says, I have nothing available. Tenli Karko. So give me some land. Enli, I have no land available. Tainli beima, give me some livestock. Ainli, I don't have any livestock. Tainli karimu kesatot, give me pillows, mattresses, something, some metaltolin. Ainli, I have none. Hifshil kelav achurav threw his sack over his back, and he walked home despondent, had given up hope of getting paid, so he walked home penniless and despondent. 
after the regel. So again, over here, if it's erev a regel, then it's after whatever regel. Now then, if you think it's erev yom kippurim, then achar regel would be after Sukkot. Natal balabait skarol biyado. He took his payment vimo masui gimul chamurim, and then he took three donkeys worth of loads. Echad shel machal, one of food. Echad shel mishteh, one of drink. Echad shel minei migadim, and others of sweets, delicacies. Falach lo de beito, and he went up to this individual's house in the Galil Elyon. Chashach luvishatu after he ate. Drank with him. Natan lo He paid him what was due to him. Amarlo. And now the Balabite says to this worker, When you told me, please give me my wages. Amarti. And I said, Ain li ma'ot. And I said, I had no money. But mechashadani. What did you suspect? Amarti. Shema prakmati abizol nizdam lecha. Says maybe there was a great business deal going down. Velakachtaben. And so you lost your liquidity. You gave up all your liquidity because you invested in some product or produce that had come in that you thought was a good buy. And so now you're no longer liquid. And my point when I said, you know, give me livestock. I said I have no livestock. What did you suspect? Maybe his livestock's rented out to be used by others. When you said to me, pay me through land. And I said, I have no land. What did you suspect was the situation? Maybe it's rented out to others. Now here, rented out is it's sharecropped to others. There's two types of sharecropping. There is a sharecropping where you share in a percentage of the production. There's a sharecropping where you have a fixed payment per year for the land. Mukheret is a fixed payment. You're receiving a fixed payment from the produce to utilize the land and the remainder goes to whoever works the land. So, time that I said to you I had no produce, what did you suspect? Maybe they weren't tied yet. And then when I said to you I have no pillows, no mattresses, blankets, what did you suspect? Maybe it was Magdish, all of his possessions, to Hekdesh. Kach Haya says exactly what you suspected is what happened in all these situations. I gave away all of my wealth, all of my possessions to Hekdesh because of Urkunus, my son, that did not go in the way of Torah. I didn't want him to inherit all my possessions because he was not leading a life of Torah. He was not going to learn Torah. When I went down to my friends in the Darom, means the Tamari Chachamim in the Darom, he truly called Nidarai. Then they were Matir my Nether, and that way I was able now to pay you because I had this Hatarat Nidarim. You, just like you, judged me favorably in this very difficult situation. God should always look favorably upon you. An incident with a Hasid Echad. Now Rashi says, whenever you have Hasid Echad, based on the Gemara in Babakama, that, that means, O Rabbi Yehuda ben Baba, O Rabbi Yehuda ben Rabbi Yilai. And so Rashi quotes that over here, as Ver Maseh Bechasid Echad, Shepada Rivachat Bat Yisrael. He went and redeemed a young girl, a young Jewish girl who was in captivity. And when they got to their lodgings for overnight, he had her sleep at the foot of his bed. Machar, in the morning when he awoke, Yerad Vitavau. He went out and went to the mikveh. Vishanalu Talmidav and taught his students. Ve Amar Lahem. And he said to them, Vishashish Kavia Tachad Miragutai, when I had her sleep at the foot of my bed. What did you think I was doing? Maybe amongst us there is a Talmid that you don't know well enough. 
to know whether he's trustworthy to leave the young girl unattended or to leave her with the students because of fear that this student would not act appropriately. In the morning when I went up and went down to the mikvah, what did you suspect? What would have been the suspicion that someone would have had? It was suspicion that he had biyah with this woman. He was then a quote-unquote ro'ah He had a seminal mission then. And he would require mikveh in order to even tire himself and to learn Torah. So he says then, what did you think happened? Maybe because of the travails of the journey that caused you to have a seminal mission. This is exactly what happened. The reason she slept at the foot of my bed was because I had some suspicions. The reason I went to the mikveh in the morning is because I had a seminal mission. You, just like you, judged me fairly. Then a Kodesh Baruch should also look favorably upon you. There was an issue that was required for the Tamil Chachamim. It's a machonita achat, whereby one of the matrons of Rome, she was visited by many of the important noblemen of Rome, and these matrons seem to hold significant power or sway within the government. They're mentioned a number of times in the Gemara about Machonita. These matrons, for some reason, if they could plead to government officials, they were important. Now, over here, the Gemara implies that she was a matron, or she had that status because she was what seems to be a zona of sorts, that the Gdoli Romi are found by her. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that Gdoli Romi found by her that she was in the circles. She was in those circles of the leadership or of the nobility of Rome and that's why she had access to those individuals. Who's going to go and represent us by this woman? I'm going to go. Rabbi Yeshua and his Talmidim went to visit this matron. Once he reached the door of her house, took off his tefillin for a month away. He went in, and then he locked the door, closed the door in front of them. When he left there, he goes to the mikveh, and he teaches Talmidim Torah. When I took off my tefillin, what did you suspect? Now, based on the actions of Rabbi Yeshua, what you could have suspected was that he was engaging with her in biyah, because he took off his tefillin so that he could engage in biyah. He locks the door so that he could be alone with her, and then he has to come out and go to the mikveh and teach Torah. All of which would be evidence of the fact that he engaged in Biyah with her. So he says to the students, what did you think? So he said, why did he take off his tefillin? Because tefillin are divrei kedusha. They shouldn't go into a place of tumah. Now why is it a place of tumah? That's why I said before, it seems to be evidence that they thought maybe she was a zona, or this was a makom tumah, for whatever reason. When I locked or closed the door, what did you suspect? Maybe there was an important issue, governmental issue, that they needed to discuss in private. When I came out and I went to the mikveh, what did you suspect? Maybe a spittle came out of her mouth and landed on your clothing. And we know that the Chachamim were gozer on the Nachrit, that she have a din of a zava, and that a Nachri has a din of a zav. And we know that the rook of a zava is mitamei tumat avatuma. And so over here, it fell on his baguette, and so he was now tamei from that sinora, and he went to the mikveh to clear up that tumah. 
You're right. Exactly what you suspected, what you said, is what happened. And he says to them, Since you judged me favorably, Hashem should judge you favorably, just like you judged me favorably. And now, back to the Mishnah. We discussed in the Mishnah yesterday, the Mishnah gives examples of items that you're allowed to move on Shabbat. And those items seem to be Pshita. Of course, you can move those items. So the Gemara wants to know what the Chiddush is in each of those items. So we discussed them quickly yesterday in the Mishnah, and here the Gemara lays it out. If I name Trumat Torah, Pshita, of course you can move Trumat Torah. Why wouldn't you be able to move Trumat Torah on Shabbat? That it's being housed or kept by a Yisrael who can't use it. It's only good for the Kalein, but it's at the Yisrael's house. I would have thought since he himself can't utilize it, it should be muksa for him. Since the Kalein could eat it, it is not muksa even for the Yisrael. Udmai. Udmai is the produce of an Amma Aretz, where we don't know whether he's taken off Shumot and Masrot. So Demai, I lo Why are you allowed to use Demai? Demai is not Raui for you to use. You have to be Mafrish. The Shumot and Masrot misafek. And until you do that, you can't utilize it on Shabbat. So it should be Muqsah. If he wants to, he could dispossess himself of all of his possessions, disown all his possessions. And then he would be a poor person. And then he could eat Demai. So therefore now, it's also Ra'ui for him, even though he has yet to do that, since it's within his power to do that and become an Ani, therefore it's considered Ra'oid. It's not. You're allowed to feed the poor people and the troops and then Ravuna says that it's not a Mishnah that's Muskam the Kol, but rather Machloket Beit Shemai and Beit Hillel. Beit Shemai says you can't use Demai to feed the poor people and the troops, whereas Beit Hillel says you can feed the poor people and the troops. Both these situations is in a case where you are obligated to take care of others. So there's a dispensation given by Demai that you can use Demai to take care of others because Rova the majority of Amayarets do take off Jumota and Masrot. It's a miyuta matsui, miyuta that is found, and therefore we suspect, and therefore out of safek we take off the Jumota Masrot. But in certain situations, we're going to rely on that rove. And these are the situations where you are obligated to take care of others, then we will rely on the rove. As far as the troops are concerned, the Aksanyo, there is a makhloket between Tosvot and Rashi as to whether this is only by Jewish troops, or you can even use them by non-Jewish troops. You can feed the mind to non-Jewish troops as well, because the government obligates you to feed them, and to pay for their upkeep, or when they come to town, you have to give them lodging and food, and so maybe you could use the mind. So here in this case, because you can make yourself into Ani and make it real oi, therefore it's not Muksa on Shabbat. Now truthfully, the Gemara could have given the same answer it gave before by Shumato which is that it's Ra'oi for the Kohen. Well, so so it's over here. It's Ra'oi for the Ani, so that should make it okay for you. Why do you have to make yourself into Ani? Just that being Ra'oi for the Ani should be sufficient. Tosfa mentions that even though they could have answered that, this is even a better answer because here, even Ra'oi for yourself, not just for someone else. Mishra says, a Maiserishon that has its Chuma taken off of it. Maiserishon requires Chumat Maser to be removed from it. And it has a Chiyub Mitabidei Shemayim if you don't remove the Chumat Maser. But once you remove Chumat Maser from Maiserishon, Maiserishon is Chulin. Anybody can eat it. So that guy says, Pshita. If you have Maiserishon that has Chumat Maser taken off of it, what do you need to look? Lotricha Shigdimo Bishibolim. He took it earlier when it was still in its stalks. And he separated off of that Chumat Maser, one-tenth of the Maiserishon that he received. But he did not take off Chumagadola 
the original 2% that is owed to the Goyen from Chuma Gedola. In terms of separating out the Matnot from the produce, there's an order that has to be kept in the way that it's separated. Taken off first, Bikurim are taken off up front, Chuma Gedola is then taken off, which is 2% up front, which is given to the Goyen. After you've taken off the 2%, then you take off the 10%, which give Maiserishon to the Levi. So technically, out of 100 the Levi would only receive 9.8 because it's 10% of the remaining 98% that he gets. But what he did here is he went before the Goyen got his 2%. And he got Maiser Rishon, he got a full 10 because he took it up front. Now his Maiser Rishon technically has embedded in it both Trumat Maser and Trumat Gedola. So he should have to separate out from this Maiser Rishon not only Trumat Maser, one-tenth of it, you should also have to give off the 2% that he owes from the 2% the coin should have gotten up front for Chumag Gedola. Right here it says he only took off Chumag Maser and not Chumag Gedola. Nevertheless, it's okay because Kiha De Amar Rabbi Abau Meresh Lokesh Maser Rishon Shikdimo Bishibolim If you take Maser, the lady comes and jumps the gun and takes Maser Rishon while still in the stalks Patur Mi Chumag Gedola. You do not have to give Chumag Gedola. Shenemar you have to remove a chuma from the Maiser Rishon. Maser mina maser. Maser mina maser. Amar to the Chai. You only have to take off chumat maser. Velo chumat gedola. U chumat maser mina maser. You don't have to take off both the chumat gedola and the chumat maser. So you are patur from chumat gedola. Amalei rapopola bayei hachi afilik dilmo bekeret. It should be the same thing when he goes to the pile after it's already been worked over and brought to its final stage. You should also be, if he goes to get the Maiser Rishon there, you should also have to pay Chumat Maser, not Chumat Gdola. So there you should be Pator. Amalei, Alecha, Markra, on you, the Pazuk says, Mikol Matnudechem Tarimu. That from all your gifts, you have to give. All your gifts seems to include even Maiser Rishon. You'd have to give Chumat Gdola. So you are Chayav in Chumat Gdola. Umarait. What did you, how did you know? How do you know one Pazuk which says you always have to give Chumat Gdola is referring to a case where you took it from the Kree? And how do you know that when you are patur from Chumagadola is when he took it in the Shibalim? My answer is Hai Idgan, Hai Lo Idgan. Question if it reached the point of Gemar Malocha for Chuma. Before the Kri, Meruach Kri is what makes you Chayab in Chuma. Meruach Kri is the final stage of the processing of the Tfua. When you smooth over the pile, that is the final stage. That stage makes you Chayab in Chumot. Your Chayab in Masrot from the time that it reaches by Tua, a third of its growth in the field, Maser kicks in much earlier than Truma. So over here, if the Levi goes in and takes his Matana from Maser prior to the Chiyuv Truma, then in that case, the Pasuk we're going to assume means that you only have to give Trumat Maser from that, you don't have to give Truma Gedolah, because when he took it, it was not Chayav in Truma Gedolah. Not to say that what he did is right, he should wait until there is Gemara Malacha and the Truma Gedolah is taken off, but nevertheless, if he acts in this way, he will not be obligated to pay Chumag Dola. On the other hand, if the Levi jumps the gun to take his Maiserishon before the Chumag Dola, after Idgan, after me, Ruach Agri, after you're ready Chayav and Chumag Dola, there he will not be Patur. They will be obligated to take off the Chumag Dola as well as the Chumag Maser. So that will be the difference here in the cases. And that's why in our case over here, he gave Chumag Maser and not Chumag Dola. Nevertheless, it's still Raoi because that's what you're supposed to do in these situations. Tosafot does note that Idgan is really not the threshold for being Chayav in Chumag Dola. There's another step which is Riyat Abayit. You have to bring it into the house. After you've done Meruach Kri, bring it into the house in order to be Chayav in Shumag Dola. So Tosavah gives two answers here. One answer is, when it means Idgan, it doesn't mean literally just when you make the pile, but when you make the pile and then you take it in the whole process of getting to the Gemara Malacha and take it into the house, that's when you're Chayav. That's one possibility. Or the other possibility is it's giving you the threshold from when the Levi is no longer Patur. The cutoff for the Levi not having to give Shumag Dola is up to Idgan. 
Until that point. Even though the Kiyub of Shumak Dola does not kick in already until Riyad Pnei Abayit, it's already past the point where the Levi is patur from giving Shumak Dola because it's too far past the point of just Maser. You're already entering into the world of Shumak and therefore it's the cutoff. Now the Gemara asks about Maisur Shaini Vagdesh Shinifdu. Maisur Shaini and Agdesh are allowed to be redeemed in order to ease your ability to give either the money to Agdesh or to go up to Yushalayim with the Maisur Shaini, you're allowed to redeem it. Margan says, Pshita, once you've redeemed it, it turns into Chulin. What's the question? The Balabai, the owner of the produce, or the owner of the item that was Mukdash, if he himself redeems it, he has to redeem it at its value, plus a Chomesh. He has to add on a fifth, which we know is a Chomesh Milebar, which is the equivalent of a quarter. He has to add on 25% to the value. When he redeems it. So how come Ashmalan? The conclusion from this is that ain't Chomesh Ma'akev. The Chomesh is not Ma'akev, the Pijon, and it does go out to the Chulin even if he doesn't add on the additional Chomesh. No, he's supposed to do it. When he doesn't do it, it still works. The Pijon works. dry lupines, Davka Yavesh. Only dry lupines because they are edible. Of Allah, if they are still moist, lo, Kevan de Marir lo Achla. Because they are bitter, the moist or fresh lupines are bitter, so nobody would eat them. Only once they've dried out do they become sweet, and therefore it's only considered to be a food once it's dried out. So it'll be muksa while it's moist because it's not edible, it's not a food, and nobody would have that in mind on Shabbat because it's not edible on Shabbat. Okay, we'll stop over here.